Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello everybody, welcome to Lions Watch, the Football Ramble's regular look at what's going on with the England men's football team. I'm Marcus Speller. And I'm Luke Moore. This week, there's good news from the Jordan Pickford camp as he continues to prove Jose Mourinho wrong with his newfound confidence and calmness in goal. But is England's midfield looking slightly less promising? We'll discuss who can cover for Declan Rice and Jude Bellingham if required. And then Alexis Guerreros from the Cooligans podcast joins us to offer insight into the US men's national team ahead of their crunch match with England in just 20 days' time. Well, that was the worst performance I've ever seen from an England team, ever. We were totally hopeless for 90 minutes. It's another wretched night for England at a major tournament. Did you also miss a left-footed player down the left side? Yeah, but where is that player? How are we going to win this tournament as England? And England win on penalties! A semi-final won by England at long... Welcome, everybody. Look more. You're back in the pod. Thank you very much for having me back. I know that you're only as good as your last performance. And, um, mm. you know, the big man stepped in in my stead and did a brilliant job. So I was wondering whether I'd get the call up again. But it turns out that um, I did. So thank you for having yeah, me back. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Well, we, we, we had a 55-man shortlist for uh, yeah. this week's uh, edition. I was you just on poked that. Yourself. <laughs> yeah. Didn't make it. And all 55 of them let us down. Yeah. Um, so, you, you, so, so you're back. Yeah. And, uh, and we're going to start off with some good news. And it uh, concerns your uh, 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 former Mackham friend of mine, Jordan Pickford. Mm. He's found his form just in time for the World Cup. Putting a man of the match display last weekend in Everton's nil-nil draw with Fulham. And if you can go to Craven Cottage, Luke Moore, and keep a clean sheet and make some stunning saves in the process, my goodness, you're good enough for England's number one for me. Yeah, you, well, I heard a lot of um, reports were saying that you um, you walked out of Craven Cottage yourself going, he's convinced me. That's it. <laughs> he's won me over. Well, yeah, part of me was frustrated that Fulham couldn't find the way through. But yeah. looking at the bigger picture, I thought to myself, you know what, nil nil, that'll that'll that's all right. And he's he's hasn't Pickford really this season um, set himself apart and marked himself out as someone who's capable of just putting in these incredible performances again. After he did get a, a little bit of criticism here and there, and you mentioned um, you mentioned one on the intro in the script just there with Jose Mourinho, but I would also point towards his performance against Liverpool in the Merseyside mm-hmm. derby a, a couple of months ago as well, which was one where, okay, it's a couple of months ago now, so maybe it's a little bit churlish to still be talking about it, but it was such a hallmark standout performance. He made so many good saves, and he actually mm-hmm. was the subject of quite a lot of an analysis from you know, pun- you know punditry experts, goalkeeping experts, who were just assessing that performance and saying, wow, what a, what a great contribution. Mm-hmm. And it also made the chat and the narrative around how quote-unquote busy and animated he can be, that kind of came to the fore as well because it felt a bit like a tipping point maybe that he started to calm down a little bit. And what I'll say just finally 
there's also been some coverage made about how he's employed a sports psychologist to help him with this calmness, to help him with this mindset. And a lot of people close to him have said that, you know, this has been part of the reason he's been able to improve and and put in some of these performances that we're seeing. So I think he was probably the standout candidate. Well, he was the standout candidate to start for England and go anyway. I think it was probably pretty unthinkable that he wouldn't have done. But the fact that his form has improved and he's coming off the back of, as we record this, one of the standout performances from a goalkeeper this season is a great thing. Yes, it is. And and lest we forget that that England, you know, has produced many great goalkeepers over the years, but some fairly reasonably recent England goalkeepers, certainly in our minds, uh, have include um, a man who was nicknamed Calamity James, and um, one unfairly, I may add, slightly unfairly, and then another whose um, name, w- you know, would would often, you know, we're talking about lobbing seamen and all this sort of stuff. Um, so you know, they're fairly, ha- yeah, <laughs> that that did happen. That did happen. <laughs> yeah, um, it was David Seaman before you think I've gone crude, um, but I, you know. England goalkeepers have made errors before, high-profile ones. Um, and actually, Pickford has been one of the great success stories under Gareth Southgate. Uh, and Absolutely. He, he's been excellent. I mean, the, the Jose Mourinho um, thing, we should say, was after the Euro 2020 semi-final win over Denmark when Pickford conceded to a great free kick. And it was, I think he'd gone the longest stretch without conceding yeah. for, for an England goalkeeper in, in, in England uh, in England international history. He's, uh, but Mourinho said, I think he was the only one who showed signs of not being on top of his game, being nervous. He was always in a hurry. I think the guy has to relax. He has to cool down. Yeah, um, no, I think that is an, it is an interesting discussion point. Because it, it it brings up some other, I think, pretty you know, fascinating points. One is that you're right to mention that he went the longest time without conceding the goal as an England goalkeeper. And in fact, the Denmark free kick in the semi-final was the first goal that England conceded in that tournament. And he conceded fewer goals than Donnarumma did, mm-hmm. who was the goalkeeper of the tournament. So he can probably consider himself a little bit unlucky, given England's run to the final and the fact that he saved two penalties in the shootout in the final, to not actually be the goalkeeper of the tournament. Mm-hmm. So... It's worth mentioning that. And secondly, I would just say this. If you were someone like Jose Mourinho, with a completely different cultural background um, to, to someone like Jordan Pickford, and of course, someone like Gareth Southgate, it's an interesting juxtaposition. Now, the reason I think that is because I think the top-level coaches would all have a very particular idea about the type of goalkeeper they want to work with. And I don't think that Jordan Pickford is the type of goalkeeper that Jose Mourinho would relish working with for the reasons he's mentioned, mm-hmm. but also for the other way that Jose Mourinho likes his teams to play. Um, and so it's not surprising that Mourinho has criticised him. I think on this occasion, I would say along the fact that there's always some kind of ulterior motive in everything Jose Mourinho says, because that's just the type of character he is, I think we can put that down to quite a considerable difference in how Mourinho approaches the game versus how the coaches that Pickford has worked under mm-hmm. tend to approach it themselves. So I think there's probably just a little bit of a difference there. Yeah. And to, to, Is that to, fair, do you think? No, I think it's very fair. And, and to back that up, you know, Jose Mourinho, he, he didn't want to work with Ika Casillas that much, did he? When he went no. to Real Madrid. Now, there were perhaps other reasons there. Done? But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but with regards to um, those who have coached Pickford, his current manager, uh, Frank Lampard, said about him, I can see a calmness and confidence in him. And that means he can affect other people positively, which is a huge plus as a goalkeeper. And I think that's fair, actually. I think that, mm. that Pickford, his distribution wasn't, um, superb against Fulham, but his distribution generally is, is is pretty good. And the other goalkeeper, based on the last couple of games, was it in the UEFA Nations League, 
who um, would be vying for that number one spot would probably be Nick Pope because he started both matches. Big error. Big error against Germany. But Nick Pope, and having seen both of them in the flesh recently, because Newcastle and Everton have come down to, to the cottage in, in, in recent weeks. Now, I know they're just one, one-off one games, you know, you, you could say. Mm. But if you look at Pope's style, I really don't trust him with the ball at his feet that much. I think mm. he's a perfectly decent goalkeeper. I don't think he's spectacular. I think he's a solid six or seven out of ten, but I don't think he's going to go the extra mile. Marcus, that was why the error was so out of character, because yeah. that's why the error is such a shame for him, right, from it a is, personal yeah. point of view, because he doesn't really make those kind of errors, to my mind, and so it was a real shame that that happened. It's not, you know, sometimes you get a brand of goalkeeper where you think, okay, that, that occasional error is like the price of admission with that keeper, do you know what I mean? And yeah. Nick Pope isn't like that. No, if no. you think of a Lloris, Lloris is a bit like that, isn't he? Sometimes he he's, he's never seems that far away, even uh-huh. when he's in great form from a little clanger here or there because he takes risks. Yeah. Pope, if you're going to be a goalkeeper that doesn't really take risks, like mm. Nick Pope, you can't really make those errors because they stand out a lot more. You're right. And I think that, that Pope is a good backup keeper because, again, if you want to have somebody just come in, whether it be during a match, if, if there's an injury or sending off or something to the keeper. You want a guy to come in who's just going to be solid. But as I say, though, when Pope had the ball at his feet, and where I sit at Fulham, you know, is, is, is close to the front, so you can really get a good uh, sense of what the goalkeeper's about. Every time I had the ball, I remember just thinking, charge him. You know, like, he, he mm. doesn't like being under pressure with the ball at his feet. And mm. that is one of the big pluses uh, about Pickford. And, and, and Is what that where you got kicked out? Maybe, yeah. Stop shouting that. Stop <laughs> shouting it. It's other sports. Charge him. Charge! Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a pitch invasion. I got blamed. I'm not allowed back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, I mean, Ramsdale's distribution's good, but he is... I'd say third choice, second or third choice, and, and and Dean Henderson is the other one who would be trying to vie for a, for yes. a spot. So I think Dean Henderson will probably miss out. Dean Henderson's in the, in the public eye quite a lot at the moment because he's playing for a team who mm-hmm. concede a lot of chances, so he gets a chance to stand out. That's been happening for an English goalkeeper at a promoted club ever since I can remember covering football, so that's not a surprise that that's happening. Yep. Um, he will miss out, I think. I think Ramsdale and Pope, fitness um, notwithstanding, will, will be the backups to Pickford. But ultimately... If we're tasked with making a show about the England team and the lead up to a big tournament, as we sit here now and we're talking about goalkeepers, it's basically just a conversation about Jordan Pickford. Yep. He's head and shoulders to get above those two other goalkeepers, mm-hmm. rightly or wrongly. You know, people will have their own opinions on that, but that is the reality that we're faced with. Yep. And so we're really just talking about Pickford. And if he gets injured or something, or gets a suspension or something, then someone's going to have to come in and be a stopgap. But that's all they're going to be because it's totally unthinkable mm-hmm. that as soon as Pickford's available again, he's not just going to be picked. So that's the conversation as far as it goes. I would just add this, though. I would say that, for me, it was heartening to see Pickford's performances against Liverpool mm-hmm. because he's had some psychologically difficult times against mm-hmm. Liverpool, as we know. And and secondly, the, the game against Fulham as well, chiefly because England are going to, undoubtedly if they want to go deep in this tournament and they want to kind of have designs on winning it and let's be fair I'm not saying they are going to win it but they should be aiming to win it mm-hmm. they are going to go through periods of time it might be a 15 or 20 minute period and a half or it might even be an entire yeah. game we hope not mm-hmm. where we are going to be under pressure totally. and the thing that really typified those performances that we've mentioned from Pickford were how many saves he was able to make how many good saves he was able to make mm-hmm. and how often he was able to do them 
it was they were both those kind of days, and you were at the game, the Fulham game, so you can say better than me. But it was probably one of those days where Fulham just thought, oh, "We ain't going to score today." Mm. It's just one of those days. Yeah, I mean, they had an enormous and we need that from a goalkeeper, don't we? In a tournament, at some point, we're going to need that. Absolutely, yeah. Um, very, very quickly before we uh, before we move on, a few people have messaged me saying, "You never ever mentioned the only English goalkeeper who's." Currently playing Champions League football with regards to maybe the the second or third spot, of course. Mm-hmm. Joe Hart, yeah. yeah, not playing for. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's not been a, not been a rigging endorsement of. Uh... Rangers have done Celtic a solid. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, that's um, the only reason I was talking about Celtic. Poor old yeah. Joe. But I mean, yes, if there was a few injuries, he would be the number three. But currently, I think his time. Okay, so uh, at the England moment. Is done. So even on that optimistic note that we're going to end there, if there's been a few injuries, a few generally means three, yeah. he'll be the number three. So he's currently the sixth best goalkeeper that England have got available. So I, I think Joe can put his feet up in front of the telly and have a good time, to paraphrase Graham Taylor. A lovely, lovely, perhaps late 80s, perhaps 90s reference there. Um, excellent stuff. Um, we turn our attention to some bad news, I think. England's lack of uh, depth in midfield. Now we talk about Declan Rice and Jude Bellingham a lot in that in in those in those um, central midfield positions. If it's a, a four across, the, if it's a three four three, you have Bellingham and Rice in there. I think we're all comfortable with that. If it is a four three three, perhaps you then bring in Mason Mount. Uh, I think Southgate's done that um, before. Calvin Phillips was a starter for England during Euro twenty twenty. He has been out with a shoulder injury since September. Now, Pep Guardiola suggested that there's a chance he may be fit for the tournament. Even if he was, um, he's hardly kicked a ball. Even before the injury, he hardly yeah. played any minutes for Manchester minutes, City. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So it is. Um, it would be It would be a bit of a gamble to take him. Um, and I understand people would be willing to do that. But the other options in midfield, you know, would be James Ward-Prowse. Now, James Ward-Prowse, I think, is a decent Premier League player, but it is a bit of a drop-off from, say, Jude Bellingham, for example. Jude Bellingham, one of the best midfielders at the moment in Europe, you could go as far to say. Yeah. Um, the bad news um, for England is that Ward-Prowse has not been having his most influential start to the season for Southampton. He's just managed one goal and one assist in, in a struggling Southampton team, although perhaps that's maybe not all his fault, but it doesn't look too good. Uh, and Ward-Prowse admitted last week that, uh, you know, he said, I'd be lying if I said England's selection wasn't on my mind. Um, he's concerned because he was gutted when he missed out on, on Euro 2020. But the fact is that we're talking about James Ward-Prowse and England midfield options suggests, Luke, that there aren't that many in there. Jordan Henderson would be another one, mm. but he's not been at the races. I mean, the whole Liverpool side hasn't, although you would perhaps trust him to come in and do a job. But what do you think? about the, 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 the depth of, of central midfield options for England. Does it worry you? Um, to an extent it does, because you're essentially looking at a situation where, if we're being totally honest, we want Declan Rice and Jude Bellingham to stay fit and healthy mm. and to play well in that kind of double pivot thing, whatever whatever it is that young people call the midfield <laughs> players now. Um, <clears throat> in a CDM. two, excuse me. Yeah, so that's what you want. Now, if you were to look at, let's go back to the last World Cup. So France win the last World Cup, and they do it. And, I, and the, for all the pedants kind of pick me up on this, I know there was a little bit of deviation in the group stage with a Taliso here and an Zonzi there. No, but they had but their main starting eleven, though. Ultimately, they're playing Kante and Pogba 
as a two in front of a four behind a three and a one, right? So there's a two in midfield there for them mm-hmm. in that role. And they stuck with that. And Didier Deschamps wanted them to play there. And indeed, they did play there whenever possible. And they, they deliver France the World Cup. Now, they're both brilliant players, of course. I'm not saying we should make any kind of comparison because I think it's probably a waste of time. But the point being, what they wanted was a consistent selection in that midfield in the same way I would argue you probably want a consistent selection of your centre-backs and your goalkeeper just gives mm-hmm. you a bit of a platform now if England are fortunate enough to keep Declan Rice who I don't think has been in the best form this season at all compared mm-hmm. to previous years uh, but but he's the best candidate for that position and Jude Bellingham and I agree with your assessment of his that's your ideal situation mm-hmm. um, England then have to aim to be the same as that uh, as France were, and then you, I would say you take Phillips because he's he's just a, I think he's a class act, and I think he could slot in there. And I know he probably he will be short of match fitness, but if you need him for half an hour, he's definitely good enough mm-hmm. in that role. You take Henderson for his experience, and I think you'd be very very hard hearted to not take Henderson, even though he's been in slightly rocky form because he's a vice captain and because Huge he's such a big experience player. though. Yep, and a great and then, person to have around the dressing room. Definitely, and I, I, I would, I would, and I've, and people who follow us on social media would have seen this. In the ideal situation, or the ideal eleven that I chose for England, I would actually pick Mason Mount deeper. So for me, I would be looking for a different type of option um, to play if, in that one of those mm-hmm. roles if Rice or Bellingham couldn't. But then I do think you probably do look if you want to take your selection that way. If you want to use your twenty-six man squad in that fashion, mm-hmm. then maybe you do take Ward Prowse as your backup. Um, but realistically, in an ideal situation, he's not going to play. Um, so that's roughly how I see the central midfield role specifically or situation specifically for England at the moment. Yeah, OK. What, what about um, Conor Gallagher, who's who's a little bit of... Uh, uh, he's had a few minutes, if you like, for England. He's obviously back at Chelsea now. He was very impressive for Crystal Palace last season and provides a lot of energy. Do you think he could... He could potentially bother the, uh, th- th- those positions and, and stake a so, so I think that, yeah, I think, I think he's a really dynamic player. I think he's a player that we should be really excited about. Even at 22, though, I still think he's at a certain developmental stage uh, of his career. And I don't know if he's best, personally, is he best suited to play in that formation for England in that position? I mean, as we sit here now, maybe I'm a little bit tainted because the last time we saw him play it was against Brighton away and Chelsea got really badly beaten and Gallagher played a lot further forward mm-hmm. and he wasn't without contribution but Chelsea played a 3-4-3 that uh, certainly played a 3-4-3 themselves at times during that game and they had Kovacic and Loftus-Cheek in there and Gallagher wasn't selected in that position. So, okay so that was my next question and we'd, we'd mentioned Loftus-Cheek on a previous podcast is it ridiculous to think Kareth Southgate could bring him back? He's not really featured in recent England squads. He was at the World Cup in Russia. He's even played wing back actually for Chelsea. He's quite a versatile player. Tremendously and versatile. Yeah. And he's used to playing in a three-four-three. I'm surprised that Southgate hasn't called upon him um, more recently. To be honest with you, I, I just don't personally believe he's been in that good form. Mm. Like it's great to have him come back in. It's great for him to be playing under a manager who absolutely loves midfield players because <laughs> Graham Potter does, yeah. and he has made great contributions so far this season. I mean, a month or so ago, he was good in the game they beat Milan in the Champions League. He was good in that game, played well, assisted a goal, um, followed that up with a decent turn against Wolves at home. But I mean, Wolves weren't really up to much. 
Um, he wasn't very good against Brighton, but then no one was. He wasn't. I mean, he came off the bench against Dynamo Zagreb in midweek, and you know, fine, you couldn't really assess that that much. I don't. I don't know if he's really doing enough. Mm-hmm. But then all we're asking for really is someone to be a backup. If you if you if you if you're going to pick up the phone to Ruben Loftus Cheek when you're naming your squad, if you unless you're going to be the world's biggest liar, you're going to say, or you're going to at least be thinking, you're not going to play. But we've had you around the squad before. You're technically good enough. Mm-hmm. You know what it takes to be at a World Cup and the whole kind of attention that's on you and the kind of the rarefied situation you're in in this camp with an England squad. So we can bring... I, I look, Put it this way, maybe because I'm biased, but if, if I pick up the paper tomorrow and when the England squad, whenever the England squad's named and I see Ruben Loftus-Cheek in there instead of James Ward-Prowse, I don't really care. I'm fine mm-hmm. with that. Would Ward-Prowse or, or Loftus-Cheek take a leaf out of Danny Mills's book and celebrate quite openly and recklessly if the player in their position got injured ahead of the World Cup, a la Gary Neville um, 2002? Or do you think they're a bit more dignified than that? I would like to take every leaf out of Danny Mills's book and put it straight in a fire. <laughs> That's what I'd like to do. Listen, mate, without saying harsh, I've got no beef with them. If we if we end up in a situation where we're having to play Ruben Loftus-Cheek or James Ward-Prowse starting in midfield for England, mm. they're not going to win the World Cup. Right. That's yeah, how right. I see it. You've heard it here first, everybody. All right, let's have a quick break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If I had an extra hour in the day, I might catch up on the latest football news, take a lovely walk with my dog Sammy, or maybe interview someone using an orange peel and a broken iPhone. You know, normal journalism stuff. But it's not always easy to prioritise our time, and that's where therapy can be an extra helping hand. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Untangle any unneeded worries and start to value your time for you. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash ramble. Welcome back to Lions Watch, everybody. Right, as mentioned at the top of the show, we wanted to get some real insight into the US men's national team ahead of the big showdown with us, England, on November the 25th. And who better to give us the lowdown than the Cooligans, Alexis Gueros. Alexis, hey, how are you? That's right, baby. <laughs> What's going on, y'all? <laughs> A true life American. He's not even putting that accent on. I was going to say, yeah. Nah, this is how I talk. <laughs> this is how y'all used to talk before you switched it up. <laughs> you you showed us this version of the language, uh-huh. and then y'all took a boat back and everything changed. I know, eh? and we've regretted it ever since, Alexis. Yeah. Uh, you are a... <laughs> so have <Yeah>. we. <laughs> I like it because it just makes Marcus sound even more English in comparison. Uh, yeah. Oh, dear. Well, Alexis, you are a stand-up comedian. Median, of course, so you know that's why you're making us laugh. You're the co-host of the Cooligans podcast, a soccer podcast. That uh, let's say you have the goal of bringing laughter to the beautiful game. Very nice. Uh, well, sometimes done. even manages. Uh, yeah, it. we try to. Yeah, we try to add a little levity to yeah. it, uh, which is a smart move when you consider how serious uh, football fans take the sport. <laughs> I'm sure they just love two Americans joking, yeah, joking yeah, yeah. about. It. You're all, Americans are always very, very welcome in any football conversation in this country. Don't uh, believe the hype. Hundred <laughs> percent. 
You also love when we manage your club. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys love we it. want more investment from uh, the US, and that's uh, part of the reason why we've got you on board. So, ahead of the World Cup, how well do you think the US can do? Because in recent years, we've seen them get out of the group. We've seen them, even in way back in 2002, get to the quarterfinal. How well do you think uh, they can do in Qatar? I mean, uh, you know, quarterfinal for us. I remember sitting at a uh, baseball game uh, with a bunch of Scottish dudes on their bachelor party or, or stag uh, do uh, <laughs> behind us. And we just started. I was like, what are y'all doing here? It's baseball, you know? Uh, and they're like, oh, you're supposed to go to a Yankee game. No, you know, and they're like, we didn't know it was going to take seven hours uh, to watch a baseball <laughs> game. I'm like, yeah, it's a. It's called the day at the park for a reason, boys. Uh, and we just started talking about football. And I mentioned, you know, the U.S. finished in the quarterfinals. He goes, oh, I know. He goes, if Scotland would have finished in the quarterfinals, we would have burned Scotland to the ground <laughs> celebrating. <laughs> and I think for Americans, we're so used to winning in our own sports yeah, yeah, yeah. and doing well in the Olympics and mm -hmm. whatnot that quarterfinals for us kind of felt like a bit of a failure in a general American sense. Uh, but I would love to get back to that uh, for this World Cup. I don't think that's going to happen, but I do think we will make it out of the group. I've said this before. I do think we will top the group. If I'm being, if I had, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, gun to my head, I'd probably at least bet on second, right. uh, finishing second. That's very. And my confident. theory is very simple. Very confident. Here, give Go me. On, let me give away. me. Let me explain my theory yeah, yeah. because I think I look Wales. Yeah. Wales cares more about beating England. Than any other person, than any other uh, nation in that yeah. group. The U.S. cares about beating England more than any other nation in that group. <laughs> Wait, and Iran, Iran? <laughs> yeah, Iran. Look, the the government ain't on the pitch. Okay, <laughs> the people That's are, true. and they don't hate America, right? Mm. The government hates America, and I, you know, I hope everyone in Iran is okay with everything that's going mm. on over there. So I think England is going to walk into pretty much every match except for the match against Iran. With being the being the one that's sort of being uh, attacked. Let me, let me just carry on this, Marcus, because I, I, I really want to make your listeners aware that if they're not aware that I was mm. over in the US a couple of months ago and I guessed on Alexis and Christian's show, and mm. we had a lot of people, yes. American-based listeners, you know, um, contributing. It was like a live a live show. And Marcus, this will be interesting to you, and this is a question I guess to both of you. Mm. One thing that really struck me was actually how much of a derby feel from the US side this game against England has and I went into all I'll say is and I've watched a lot of England games mm -hmm. as you guys know and, and seen England at a lot of tournaments I went into that show with Alexis and Christian a lot more confident of the game against the US than I came out of it as I mm -hmm. thought England need to be very very careful here because I think it, I, I don't mean, I don't mean this in a patronising way if the US do have a yeah, <laughs> If the US do have a disappointing <laughs> tournament in general, yeah. I think a win against England will be something to really hang their hat on and they'll really, really enjoy that. So, and that, to me, is a dangerous thing for England. And that would be the same for Wales, you, you could I say. So. Although I do think Alexis has downplayed... Um, the uh, the whole business with the US and Iran quite a bit there. And I think Iran will be quite <laughs> up for that game, but that's just me. Um, so when England play the US, Alexis, who should England be most wary of when they come up against uh, the Americans? And this is the difficult part, mm. because if you do 11 versus 11, I, you know, I don't know how many Americans are actually going to get in that mm -hmm. squad. But individual talent has never really been England's problem it's when you unite as a as a unit and that's that's where America's strength is this team when we missed out on the last World Cup the one big issue for us was 
we had all these individual pieces that were either on their way out or on their way in, but we didn't have a unified group. Greg Berhalter, who gives no one confidence when I say that name, <laughs> uh, including his children. Uh, and I love Greg. Greg, you're the homie. Uh, but when I say that, you know, his task was to come in and, you know, the first few matches he lost against Mexico really badly, which is a massive rival for us. He lost some big matches up front. And it was, you know, you know now uh, it, it kind of the information has gotten out that it was teetering on whether he felt he could keep that job. But he realized we need to create a uniform way of playing and we need to get confidence with our group that they can play together. And I think that's the strength. I think when you look at pieces in our midfield, obviously Christian Pulisic is not having an incredible time at Chelsea, but when you look at some of the other pieces in our midfield, when you look at your Weston McKennies, you look at your Tyler Adams, you look at your Brendan Aronson, which has come on huge over the past few, uh, over the past season. You look at even names that you might not be aware of, like uh, Luca De La Torre. You look at uh, Malik Tillman uh, at Rangers. What you start to see a unit that can come together Mm -hmm. in a way that I think will give England problems. England also played really badly for most of their for five of their last six. Yeah, all right. We've I think, done what was six it? weeks Just, on that. Yeah, I was going to say, Alexis. Yeah, you and San Marino, <laughs> I think, were yeah. the only ones who didn't score, right? <laughs> it's bad when it's when they compare you to a mountain town. <laughs> That's bad as a nation. Yeah, it is. You it's know? very bad. When it's you and the dentist are the ones who <laughs> scored only once. <laughs> um, we've got a few listener questions. Uh, one from the American Georgie. You know, you, you have sort of talked a little bit about this, but if, if we could pin your colours to the mast. Um, the American Georgie says, who's honestly the best U.S. player in the pool right now? That's an incredible question. Mm. Uh, it becomes a question of, and this is forever, potential versus current form. Mm. Who has the best potential? Probably a Gio Reyna, yeah. if you ask mm. me. I mean, he's just one of the most uh, electric you know, midfielders that I've ever seen, uh, New Yorker as mm-hmm. well, and Dad Claudio Reyna, who played for Manchester City uh, back in cool, the day. Yeah. Um that, to me, uh, gives me the most inspiration when I watch him play. Uh, but if you were to say, like, right now, who is the best? Mm-hmm. Who would you pin your hopes on? It would have to be Weston McKenney. Scoring in Champions League, finding ways to get on the pitch mm-hmm. at Juventus with a manager that doesn't like him or winning. Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so uh, I would have to say right now it's Weston McKenney and possibly Brendan Aronson, who... I thought he might be a little bit too small, too light of a frame for the uh, Premier League, but he yo he's bodying. He is looking good in Leeds midfield. Yeah. I know. I think I think best Western McKenney is a good shout. I best think we get behind yeah. that. Well, uh, we got this from or Weston McDonald's as they call we, him in yeah, Italy. Of they would. Uh, this one again. You, you touched on Christian Pulisic, but Chris says, "Do you think Pulisic has anything to offer at the World Cup? He seems to have an outsized reputation." Yeah, I mean, you know, I kind of like the guy. You write a book before <laughs> you're meant to. I mean, as as a as a person with a big ego, I love it, you know? And I think was he a word is he just told Graham Potter, "You bug, you tripping, dog." I mean, you know, if you want me to back anybody, it's somebody who's being wild disrespectful to their manager. Uh, but I think the problem with him is you know, you've sort of gone all in. Mm. You know, you've pushed all your chips in the middle on this World Cup because you've got no other way of proving yourself mm. besides getting out of Chelsea maybe in the January transfer window, which I hope happens at this point. He has to show up and play well here or else his name starts to really be diminished in the U.S. because I think, 
you know, people are looking at him still as Captain America. He's a LeBron James of soccer, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but if he doesn't play well or if another player outshines him in this World Cup, I think you're going to start to see a lot of the negatives that are kind of starting to creep up around him be highlighted a lot more, especially amongst the American fan base. Because what we want more than anyone is, is somebody who plays for the badge over their heart. Uh, more than just an outsized ego. So uh, he's got a lot to prove in this World Cup. So I think what I hope Mm -hmm. is, you know, his dad was a professional player indoor, but that's all we had at the time. His mom played in college at a very high level. I think he has enough people around him to sit him down and say, you know, this is important. You need to put everything else aside. You need to show up for this. So I hope It's a really interesting case with him because, you know, people were talking about how well his career was managed to get to the point where he became a Chelsea player but the reason that's interesting is because I think at the time there were reasons why he could have gone to other big Premier League clubs Marcus I don't know if you remember but like he, he had a link with Klopp at the time and the people were mm-hmm. talking about Liverpool he had a Man United kind of fan situation I think with him and his family and he elected to go to Chelsea which can be and it has regularly been as we all know for a lot of top players a complete graveyard so it, there was always a chance it could have gone this way right and it's a shame that it's not been it's not been disastrously bad he's not done a thing where people have just because sometimes with Chelsea players Alexis over here it'll be like that guy's still at Chelsea or not I can't remember is he on loan yeah. somewhere else he's not been that bad yeah. but he's not certainly made the impact he would have hoped he could have made and that's always a danger at a club like Chelsea for sure sure no definitely I just think you can't you can't have a bad relationship with every manager. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you can't do yeah. that. You know, if you've been divorced four times, it's on you. You know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I would like to ask, I'd like to turn our attention to the, the, the biggest club in West London because we talked a bit about Chelsea there. And yeah, this is from yeah. Brian. He says, should Brentford, Tim Ream, it? It, come on. <laughs> uh, he said, should Tim Ream be starting ahead of Aaron Long? Ream starts every game and captains a team, that team's Fulham, Brian, in the Premier League, mm-hmm. uh, and Long is an average MLS centre-back. Ooh. Uh, I think that would be a, a massive mistake. Okay. I think w- what I talked about earlier Fulham, is mate. it's super important that you fit the system. Mm. And Tim Ream, a great centre-back mm. for a different system. Yeah. Uh, he's not playing that, you know, I, I don't have any confidence with him playing, uh, you know, with the with the ball at his feet in any way, shape, or form. Uh, he seems to me like a super old school, clear it as soon as you see it, you know, center back. And uh, I just, that's not what we need. We need someone that's going to be able to spring that attack. We need someone that's going to be able to move into open spaces uh, if he sees it. And to him, if he sees open space, he's just like, well, good. I get two extra seconds to breathe. You know what I mean? He's <laughs> just not that what, type though? of a I guy. Mean, like, look, as, oh, as as loath- is, I'm going to step out of this because yeah. this is going to get nasty. As loath as I am <laughs> to disagree with you, I understand that that was perhaps the case a few years ago. But actually, he has been turned into a much more cultured centre-half. Marcus, can I just say, can I just say, because Alexis won't know this, when Tim Ream smashes the ball into the stand at Fulham, it's Mm. a thing. Everyone in Fulham goes, Ream! It's a thing. But he's known for it. No, no, I think, think, well, fine. No, look, look, from an England point of view, I'm delighted he's not going to start Alexis. Um, (laughs) But uh, but what I would ask you, though, is is against England, let's... But we want Anthony, though. There you go. We need Anthony, though. We need him. Yeah, yeah, Everyone needs a player from Wigan in their squad um, but or Sunderland <laughs> in the case of Joe Rayner yeah exactly yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but with regards to the game against England then how do you think the US will set up because 
it get you know England versus Iran. It, it, well, Iran by all accounts are quite a defensive side. Wales will probably play deep and try and hit England on the break. And I'm guessing with the, the, with with the US, they will expect England to take the game to them a bit more. So how what is their usual approach, and how would they do the same or change that against England? They don't have like a standard. Mm-hmm. They've played in a four two three one. They've played in a four three three. They've played in a four four two diamond. Um, it really depends. I think I think four three three is probably the way they're going to go forward. I would much prefer to see the team with a three uh, with a three center back, uh, five five man back line. Uh, you know, speedy wingers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, use Christian Pulisic as a bit of a wing mm-hmm. back. I think he has the aggression and defend. I'm not necessarily sure he's the best on ball defender, uh, but I do think he has the aggression to get back and defend. You've got guys like Brendan Aronson that can convert. You know, winning the ball back in your own half, they can convert that into an attack really, really quickly. Weston McKinney's really good at that. Tyler Adams is really good at that. Um, you've got guys like Eunice Musa that know how to convert on a counter. I would be more comfortable with that, especially against a team like England. But I, I truly think that Greg Berhalter, there was a lot of sort of issues with Greg Berhalter when he first came in, primarily being that the person who hired him was his brother. Uh, so people think there was a, a, a bit of nepotism. Um, it just happened to work out that way. Uh, so I don't agree with it. But I think there's so much where people were like, all right, you've earned this cycle. Let's see what you do. So I think he's going to go out, you know, with uh, with a bit of a with a bit of a, a chip on his shoulder, with a bit of an attitude and say, we're going to play this. We're going to play the American mm-hmm. way. And I think we've tried to prove that the American way is holding possession, trying to draw you out of position and, uh, you know, sort of be able to kind of cut in from those uh, from the wide flank and, and see if we can kind of bunch everyone up centrally. Not too dissimilar to how Pep or, or Arteta try to play the game. I don't know how that's going to work against a team like England who's used to seeing that. But I do think this game against England will be very back and forth. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be one of those that's going to be won or lost in the midfield. Okay, so, f- so finally then, um, and staying with the match. Harry Kane will start for England. That that's quite clear. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of a debate on who should play either side of him. Who would you most? Who who would you fear the most playing um, for, for for England? I know there's there's one or two injury concerns. For example, with Bakar Saka, and I know you're a big Arsenal fan. Who would you not want yeah. to see lining up against the US? Uh, I I think the players that we couldn't handle mm-hmm. uh, would be probably Bukayo Saka or Phil Foden. Right. I think Raheem Sterling, I think we've seen enough of him to know exactly what we expect. Uh, Maybe if a player like uh, Foden comes in, he doesn't have an Erling Haaland next to him. No disrespect to Harry Kane. But unless we get a penalty, unless they get a penalty, I don't expect them to score against Mm us. Uh, Look, Grealish, for all accounts, difficult to get the ball away Mm -hmm. from. uh, But not exactly the player I'm going to fear. I think Speedy, Techie, Mm -hmm. Phil Foden... You know, uh, Bukayo Saka, players like that, those are the ones where I think our defenders uh, will either overcommit or give too much space to. And that's that to me is where you start to get into that that sort of trickier uh, area where I'm not sure we have the yeah. – we have the 90 minutes worth of capability to defend. Well, I appreciate that. I'll let Gareth Southgate know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure he'd just like Greg Berhalter, he'll listen to anyone else. I, th- I think, uh, I think it's, it's fair to say, though. I mean, yeah, we talk about a Foden, a Saka, to an extent a Grealish, for perhaps different reasons. It's not really a team in the World Cup generally who's going to relish playing against them when they're on form. So, I mean, it's not a huge surprise to hear that. Although I do like how... Uh, 
how confident you are around this prospect of Harry Kane scoring. Like, he just couldn't hold back the Arsenal fan of him. Then he was like, I don't, I don't expect him to score. Bruh, he only scores penalties. Yeah. That's it. He scored 51 of them for England. <laughs> um, <laughs> Alexis, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you very Always much. Always a pleasure. Uh, people can find you on, on the Cooligans podcast. Absolutely. Uh, at Soccer Cooligans on everything, at Not Alexis on everything, if you want to hear my dumb takes and me calling everybody's pizza. No, Alexis is very good on uh, on social media, on the specific subject of pizza. I'll back him up on that. But uh, yeah, thanks, Alexis. It's been great to Thank have you, you on, and uh, we hope to catch up again soon. Unless England would, are beaten by the US, in which case we yeah. will simply never speak again. Absolutely. Oh, you'll hear from me, though, because <laughs> I'm going to be super loud. Love you guys. Cheers, Thank you. you. Oh, what a lovely man. What a <laughs> great company. I do enjoy uh, Alexis's uh, chat very much. So he's very confident with the US, blimey. Well, uh, that's added a little bit of extra spice to that game. Anyway, Luke Moore, what's next? All right. Now it's time for the Take Thermometer. Ooh. Um, if you're joining Lions Watch on today's episode, you're about five, four or five or six episodes in or whatever it is, um, you, you may not have heard of this before. So I'll go for it very briefly. Every week on Lions Watch, we sense check the latest big opinions on the England men's national team on what we've called the Take Thermometer. Uh, fairly self-explanatory. Uh, is something a pundit, player or coach has said regarding the England team a hot take or a load of old shit? Um, we have, we have. I'm going to be honest. A a a quite complicated rating system mm-hmm. which has been received quite badly by the listening public. <laughs> so, but we're pressing on. We're too deep now. We're too deep to change it. So, um, try and bear in mind. Listen carefully. If you're on the train or you're out for a run, make sure your mind doesn't wander, and then you'll get it. You'll enjoy it more if you. Um, aren't just switching off and then coming back into us talking about loads of weirdly named chili. <laughs> Carolina Reaper's the hottest. Yeah. The Trinidad Scorpion Butch, uh, Butch T is the, is, the, is the least hot, is the mildest. But it's Take- still bloody hot. Yeah, I know. We have to talk it through. <laughs> anyway, headline. Sam Allardyce. Ooh. Is, he, is that his first mention on this season's Lions Watch? It uh, could be. He's bloody lucky to get one. He is. Um, Sam Allardyce says, England would win this year's World Cup Ooh. if he was the manager. <laughs> So I'll just give you a bit more meat on the bones while you're taking the the, the time to get come to terms with that. Um, when asked whether he and his former assistant Sammy Lee, he's involved. Yeah, uh, Sam, Sammy Lee's involved in this um, World Cup winner potential. Sammy Lee, he's un, he's unwrapping the Worthers on the team bus. <laughs> and if you don't know that story, get to know. Yeah. Um, so. When asked whether he and his former assistant Sammy Lee, I, so, I, I just can't say yeah. Sammy Lee on Lions <laughs> yeah. Watch. I just can't say it. <laughs> I'm going to press on. When he when, when asked whether he and his former assistant Sammy Lee could lead England to glory at the upcoming World Cup, Big Sam said this: "Yes, definitely with this squad. Yes, we'd go for Jordan Pickford in goal, Reese James, Harry Maguire, Connor Cody, and Luke Shaw in defence. Declan Rice in midfield and Jude Bellingham alongside him." along with Mason Mount, Harry Kane up front, and we'll go with Bakaya Saka and Phil Foden. We'd be celebrating with that. My team would win the World Cup. <laughs> to be fair, formation-wise, not too bad. My problem with it is that he thinks that that's just as easy as it is. <laughs> and he's had a go at this before, yeah. and he couldn't... Uh, what can I say here? He couldn't stay focused for long enough <laughs> on the job in hand to last more than a single fucking game. So how's he gonna how's he gonna stay quiet for a whole month? I don't know. In, in, and, and he loves Dubai as well. You know that in between matches he's gonna pop off over there. Oh mate, uh, he Imagine, would do. What, what I would say, Marcus, is this: 
Train yourselves, I'll be back just before kickoff. <laughs> I'm happy to embrace the idea because in my mind, yeah. if I was there sat next to the pool when I turned around mm. and I saw Big Sam bronzed, bum bag, top off, emerging out of the lobby <laughs> with his flip-flops on, I'd be thinking, there's a man you can do business with. <laughs> there's a sexy beast. And obviously you shouldn't do, don't do business with him on, you know, yeah. he's a man that you could, you can do business with because uh-huh. he, he doesn't take any, any prisoners at all. Mm. So hot take or not, Sam Allardyce to lead England to glory at the World Cup by basically picking almost the same team as Gareth Southgate does and just having Sammy Lee in the dugout. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a poor take. And uh, I think, it's, I, I, I obviously think it's a poor take. The thing is with, <laughs> with, with Sam Allardyce, like I... That, the, the, one of the shames is actually I wouldn't have minded just to see what he could have done as England manager and we wouldn't therefore have to have these kind of conversations. But he buggered it up. And yeah. one of the things that Southgate has done, which has been hugely important in the um, sort of relative success of his England side, is taking the pressure off, giving that squad harmony, getting yeah. the unicorn out and everyone having a lovely time. Allardyce wouldn't have done that. That's not no. in his DNA as a manager. I'm not saying he's a bad manager because of that. And what Allardyce... See, Allardyce, what he should have done was had a bit more self-awareness because with this, he sounds a bit bitter, which he is. And I understand why he's bitter. You would a be. A bit you... bitter. Yeah. <laughs> it's the most generous assessment I've ever heard. He's a Carolina Reaper bitter level. That's what he is, right? What he should have said with a little nudge and a wink and, and all that, and a bit of self-awareness was, well, if I was in charge of England, there's no way we would have been relegated from the top group of the Nations League. Just shut because, up. No, but that but we could have got behind that because obviously relegation, you know, getting teams out of relegation scrap sort of specialist and so on. If he'd have said that, he's got his point across of, you know, that wouldn't have happened under my watch. Ha, 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 ha. Remember, mm. I was once England manager, etc., etc. All right, fair enough, Allardyce. That was mildly amusing. Now back in your box. But unfortunately with this, <laughs> he's gone way over the top. And again... I wish that every time Sam Allardyce said something in public, <laughs> someone did say, ha, 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 that was mildly amusing. Now get back in your box. I think we'd be in a better place. And I also love the idea of, you know, the scenario involved when big Sam Allardyce gets the England job again. And the, the first question a journalist asks him is, yeah. so, you know, you've got Steve Holland in situ, you're one of the world's best coaches, mm. you know, really well respected by many seen as the mastermind tactically. They've got England to this, you know, this major tournament final for the first time in 60 years or whatever. You know, you're keeping him on and Sam just goes, uh, begins with S. Yeah. And just gets handed a Werther's original. I was about to say, you see the lad off, there off, off with the Werther's original. So rappers. that's a shit take. I, okay. can, I, can I also, before you move on, I just want I just, I just to say one thing. Um, I couldn't remember who sent the tweet and I can't find it. So apologies to this person who sent it. Um, I saw a tweet the other day which said, um, I love Lions Watch. Luke and Marks are great. It's a really brilliant um, show. I really enjoy it every weekend. But the take thermometer is the worst feature in podcast history. <laughs> well, and, and are we giving that a Carolina Reaper? Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> that in itself is quite a hot take. All right, everybody. We'll be back with Lions Watch next Saturday and every Saturday until the start of the World Cup, which, of course, is very, very soon. Um, But before that, we'll be seeing you for the usual ramble on Monday, rounding up the best action from the weekend. Thank you very much, Luke Moore. Thank you very much. And a massive thank you, of course, to Alexis Guerreros of the Cooligans. Um, we, We love you dearly, and we hope that the US do very, very well, but not on that occasion when they play England. There we are. See you soon, everybody. Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hold up. 
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.